and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Hello, Matthew. Hi, Alison. So, Matthew, gently bringing out Hero One Day, Zero the Next. Not quite getting the call right this week. You know, the RBA shocked the market a little bit. What happened and why? Well, I don't know if I can even respond with a witty reply to your uh cliche there other than to say (laughs) (laughs) other than to say live and learn live to fight another day anyway look look, i am a little bit down on myself i should say about that call look what we were thinking alice and what most other people think is after last month's meeting the rba said it'd be data driven and they nominated wages labor market and spending as the key drivers of monetary policy they were looking at now over the month, we had the wage price index, which is our broadest measure of wages for uh, in the economy for the quarter, first quarter of the year coming out soft. Labor market data was soft. Retail sales were soft. So we thought that was enough to keep the RBR on hold. Now, of course, we saw that monthly CPI number come out, which we discussed, you know, coming up a little bit higher than expected. But that's pretty volatile, still experimental. We thought they would look through that. Uh, the minimum uh, wage and award decisions, which we saw, um, on Friday, we're a little bit stronger than expected, but we still thought that was pretty consistent with uh, wage growth about 4% by the middle of the year, which is what the RBA's uh, forecasts are. So on the basis of that, we thought they wouldn't go. But I think what I what I missed, and I didn't really miss it, and this is why I'm a bit down on myself, is that really throughout the week leading up to that meeting, Governor Lowe was really upping the rhetoric on unit labour costs, and we should have picked up on that. Because not only was that, I think, important in terms of this rate hike, it'll be important going forward. I think it signals a shift in emphasis of concern on the RBA. They're worried about a wage price spiral. And it's this shift in unit labour costs that are running at almost 8% annually. And their persistence, when you look back at the last year, their quarterly rate is is averaging around 2%, or in other words, 8% annualised for the year now. It's that persistence in that high rate of unit labour costs that's driving a lot of the thinking of the RBA at the moment. Well, Matthew, you shouldn't be down on yourself. You did have another rate hike in your forecast. It was just whether it was this month or a couple of months later. So you're still on the money. It was just perhaps a little bit of timing. So still a good job. But I do agree that there does seem to be a little bit little bit of difference in the emphasis. But interestingly, and perhaps somewhat not surprisingly, the unions are taking a little bit of a different view. Broadly, their argument is that it's not about the rising unit labour costs, but more about the fact that businesses are becoming increasingly profitable that's really the issue. Does the RBA run the risk in in its current line of thinking of driving us into a bit of a recession if unit labour costs aren't really the issue? Yes, well, the union argument is that the higher unit labour costs can be absorbed by uh, businesses reducing profitability rather than passing uh, higher wage costs on to in the form of higher prices. And there's, there's an element of proof to that. I mean, if you look back at the national level, corporate profits are up 50% since the start of COVID and the wage bill's yeah. up only 20%. But, you know, a lot of that increase is due to mining profits, taking out the mining profits, you know, corporate profits are only up 30%. You know, it's still 10% more than wages. And you'd probably want to take a lot of that mining profit out because it's responding to foreign demand, not domestic demand, and foreign prices, not domestic prices. You know, iron ore and metallurgical coal have nothing to do with the domestic yes. scene. So, You know, anyway, to date, though, if we come back to those unit labour costs, unit labour costs and inflation are both running at 8%. So that's evidence that firms are able, have been passing on these higher unit labour costs and preserving profit margins. That's true. Mm -hmm. 
but that growth in profits is now slowing. And this quarter's data showed that profits grew by just a bare 0.5%. And that annual growth rate of profits is, is slowing quite sharply. My guess is that businesses are ending a phase where, with demand slowing, their ability to maintain margins is eroding and profits will be squeezed. Um, and that's particularly true if um, labour costs remain high. Now, the question is, what does that do with respect to economy and the monetary policy? And here's the rub. Much of that problem with high unit labour costs is not so much to do with excessive wage growth, but abysmal productivity growth. Now, yes. if you look at the latest national accounts, Productivity growth is running uh, on average and at an appalling rate of somewhere between minus one and minus two percent. And that's been the case for about a year or so now. So it looks like wage growth is is currently outstripping productivity growth by around four percentage points, not the one percentage point you'd normally see wage growth outstripping productivity, consistent with inflation of being somewhere around about two and a half percent. So if from here wage growth goes up sharply further, Without any compensating increase in productivity, the rise in unit labour costs and the pressure on profits will see businesses, they'll have to attempt to lift prices um, and that will feed into inflation and the RBA will be forced to raise rates and the economy will fall into recession. Now, on the other hand, if the RBA does the opposite and tries to ease rates to save the economy, then that'll give scope for businesses to be able to raise prices in the face of the higher unit labour costs to preserve their profits, then inflation will take off. So problem is those unit labour costs, we do have to see them abate. We do need to see some change in productivity and some moderation, or at least not having really sharp wage increases going forward for us to sort of have this soft landing. Look, you can really see the dilemma of the RBA there. It's a difficult balancing act between the, the do's and the don'ts with that scenario. But I can understand absolutely the concern about productivity. And look, but to be fair, productivity is also quite low globally. So it does appear to be a current challenge. You're listening to Alison Hill and QSC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, in the last question, uh, you also referred to the slowing growth in Australia, and I think we got some evidence of that with the GDP data that was out yesterday. Quite soft at 0.2% for the quarter, given this difficult scenario for the RBA, but does this give them a little bit more room to pause, or do you think because of these other dynamics you've outlined that they'll need to keep going forward? Well, it does give them uh, a reason to pause. You know, they've had now three rate hikes uh, in a row, and, you know, the economy's clearly softening. But I think the RBA is going to really remain vigilant as it fights to ensure that inflation remains in check and that, you know, this concern they have about a possible wage cost outbreak doesn't unanchor inflation expectations. So I, th I think that will trump the impact of the slowing economy. Okay, makes sense. Well, it's an interesting environment. Look, we've talked about it a bit in recent weeks, but it does appear that the markets think that inflation isn't going away globally and the central banks certainly aren't done yet. And just looking at market pricing. So we had the Bank of Canada come out with potentially a little bit of a surprise and it uh, recommenced its rates hikes during the week. But we've also got, you know, about a 50% chance of another hike from the Fed. And interestingly, those rate cuts that we've talked about at the back end of 2023, Matthew, have now largely been priced out. We've got one one further hike now fully priced in for the ECB and another 50% chance of a, another hike again. And then turning to the UK, we've got three hikes priced in and a good chance for a fourth. So we might be a full percentage point higher by November than it is now. So it's challenging environment. And obviously the global stage and where global interest rates are does have an impact on things like our international competitiveness and the dollar. 
Do you think that's going to have much of an impact as well? Yeah, I think it's another catalyst for an RBA rate hike. If the RBA doesn't match what's happening overseas with another rate, at least another one rate hike, you'll see a lot of pressure on the dollar. Um, it's already languished in 66 cents and further downward pressure on the dollar would translate eventually into inflationary pressure domestically. Mm. So, you know, I think we've got at least at least another rate hike by the RBA, if not next month in August, with the potential for uh, another rate hike to follow. So, you know, I think we're, we're looking at higher interest rates here domestically like we're looking at overseas. Now, Alison, I, I've got a question for you. I'm deflecting it now for a minute. <laughs> Get back to you. Look. Those US banking problems that we've been discussing over the last few weeks, they just won't die. It looks like the US banks are now potentially faced with higher capital adequacy requirements from the regulators. So, look, what's happening and what can we anticipate the impact to be? Yeah, absolutely right, Matthew. I mean, look, the, the regulators are concerned, and, and quite rightly, because the situation with those banks' balance sheets, particularly as we're talking about the regional US banks, They've still got an issue where depositors can withdraw funds very, very quickly and they have a rationale to do so on the basis that, you know, money market funds are offering much higher rates of return than, than you can get on your deposits at this current point of time. And most of those banks have invested in securities which are much longer dated and now if they had to realise them, they take that mark-to-market loss. So oh, there's oh. challenges being put out there from some of the long-short equity funds on the short side. So there's you know some pressure on some of those banks. But we're also now seeing regulations. So we're seeing um, over, over the week it was announced that they're going to have to boost their capital on an average of 20%, uh, which is quite material. So oh. a couple of impacts from that will be you know, once you've got to tie up more capital, that makes it harder for them to lend. So that could also be a further, you know, impost for slowing in the US economy. We've also got um, the regional banks, as I say, with these stresses. And interestingly, these regional banks hold, they're sort of less important for the consumer centre, not unimportant, but less important, but they are very important for the real estate sector and particularly the commercial real estate sector. And office in particular, isn't it? Exactly right. Office in particular. And that's something we have talked about. And look, it's it it does make the headlines a little bit, but there is some challenges potentially coming in the US in the office sector. And they're holding the debt for a lot of those office buildings. So so if we see a valuation shift, that could cause further pressure from a different lens uh, for those regional banks. So from, from my perspective, it's not done yet. It's an area to watch. I think it is important to note that it's relatively small in terms of the impact of the overall US economy, but it does have an impact on the level of credit going into the market. So just that slowing. So we're seeing slowing via this um, new change in capital adequacy and potentially slowing again also from the regional banks. So it, a bit of a challenge potentially for, for businesses to raise, you know, to raise debt funding. Matthew, thank you again for joining me. Really appreciate our chats. And thanks also to our listeners for taking 10. 